You're listening to That's the Industry Podcast, episode number 35. Today, you're going to learn about the evolution of CNN from a former CNN anchor. Here we go. You're listening to That's the Industry with Thomas Jordan. That's the Industry with Thomas Jordan. The podcast that takes you inside all the aspects of the entertainment industry. Directly from the people who are making it happen. And now, your host, Thomas Jordan. What's going on, everyone? Thomas Jordan here for another episode. Today, we are joined by CNN veteran and host, Bella Shaw. What's going on? Hey, Tom, are you sure I shouldn't be interviewing you, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, you've got all this broadcast news experience. And uh, yeah, who knows? Maybe I'll be the lucky one one day. <laughs> Well, you probably have had some of the same experiences I've had in your career, so it would be interesting. Our conversation will be very enlightening. Yeah, and that's why I want to talk to you because people who listen to this know that I have a broadcast news background. I got into it around 2011, but you know, I want to know how you got started in the industry. Yes, well, in high school, I wrote for the school newspaper and I wrote for the school yearbook, so I was doing a lot of writing. But at the same time in high school, I was doing a lot of speaking. I was in all these uh, speech tournaments and debate, and things like that. So I had a combination of writing skills and speaking skills. Well, by the time I got to college, which was the University of Oklahoma, um, that was when they were hiring a lot of women. You know, Connie Chung and Diane Sawyer and Jane Pauley and all these women were coming to the forefront. So it became kind of uh, an end thing for television stations to start hiring women. And while I was not the first in Oklahoma, I was one of the first women broadcasters and probably one of the first to cover uh, the state capitol as a political correspondent. And when you got that job, or first of all, how did you get that okay, job? Okay, well, <laughs> it's not as glamorous as it always seems, right? While I was still in college at the University of Oklahoma, majoring in journalism, they didn't even have a broadcast news department at the time, I worked the overnight shift at WKY Radio in Oklahoma City as a news anchor. I worked 39 hours so that I would be still classified as part-time from Friday until Monday morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 39 hours part-time doing the news. Well, it so happened that WKY Radio was in the same building as WKY TV, which was upstairs. And so I got to know the people. And when I graduated from OU, I asked, you know, I filled out an application and asked for a job. And they said, well, the way things work around here is you have to go out and shoot a story. And you have to bring back, at that time, film. <laughs> 35 millimeter film on a CPK 13. And I went out and shot a car wash, I think, just to establish the long shot, the medium <laughs> shot, the close up of the nozzle with the water coming out, the guy's face, you know, and brought it back to the uh, chief photographer who was one of the best in the country, he went on to work for CBS News and uh, Daryl Barton. You know, he was always the chief photographer of the year award. And uh, he has such a critical eye. I remember looking through the viewfinder of my camera and always seeing his face. <laughs> <laughs> but somehow I got in. And WKY TV had a very interesting philosophy. And that was the reporters are not the news. So therefore, if I was at a press conference for the governor, let's say, and other reporters were there from competing stations, we would use the competing station's reporters in our cutaways instead of me <laughs> because they didn't want to show our people. <laughs> and so even though I was working for a television station, many times at a grocery store, somebody would say, I recognize your voice as if I was working in radio still. So they had a kind of an old fashioned philosophy, uh, certainly as we've seen today, how things have evolved. But eventually when film kind of, uh, went out of the way and videotape came in, they realized that in order to go live, you know, you need a reporter at the scene to interview the fire chief or the police chief. So yeah, working uh, really long, hard hours, you know, at that station. I also was the farm show anchor 
So that meant getting up at three in the morning and coming in and ripping the wires at that time, AP and UPI, I'd rip the wires and half the time read it off that. There were no teleprompters. (laughs) This is fascinating to me because first of all, one thing that has not changed is news, broadcast news hours. You know, they'll work you if you're not full time, just right under that mark to make sure you don't get full time and benefits. Now it's like they overwork you and don't pay overtime. So I'll tell you what, that hasn't changed. Um, But to hear that they would not put you on camera, but they would rather put the competition on camera. (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. I was like, did I hear, did I hear that right? I was like, Oh my Lord. That's a little backwards. The philosophy was they didn't want their news people to be the star, you know, and to get it into their head that they are more important than the news story. They didn't want you to think you were a star and they weren't going to promote you. They were going to promote the story. And so that was just their philosophy. But, you know, when people say, oh, gosh, you know, it must have been so glamorous and everything. I literally worked in a building that was on a cow pasture uh, with cattle in the background and windmills, you know, out in the sticks in Oklahoma. <laughs> and I'd come in and do that farm show you know, at three or four in the morning and then work all day. And, and like you said, Tom, it's not nine to five. Invariably on a Friday, if you had made plans that night, right at six o'clock, there'd be a three alarm fire. And you don't have, you know, there's no opportunity to say, wait a minute, I've got plans this weekend. I'm going out of town. You have to jump in that truck and go get the live shot. And people used to always say, I can't believe you're working on Christmas. And I'd say, well, when was the last time you turned on the television and they said, today's Christmas, so we're going to rerun some old newscasts from 20 years ago. I mean, you know, things are happening on Christmas Day. There's still the car wreck. There's still, you know, the fire or whatever, but... Yeah, you work holidays, you work weekends, you work long nights, you know, it is not glamorous. And that's what people don't understand. They just see one side of it. And so many young girls that want me to mentor them, they go, well, Bella, I don't want to be a reporter. I just want to be an anchor. Hmm. Like, well, when you're on the anchor desk and you are in a live situation and it's unfolding and you don't have any notes or script or anything, you have to be a reporter. You have to know what questions to ask. So yes, you do need a reporter background in order to be an actor. And it's so funny because that has not changed one bit um, uh, coming from the news side and even in the entertainment news side. I used to hear that all the time and it would make my blood boil because what people don't know is like the mm-hmm. reporters do all the legwork and get paid less and the anchors are more so the face, but being an anchor is no easy feat either. Like reading that teleprompter, just because the words are in front of you, like you said, if it's a breaking news situation or, you know, there's not all the facts or your teleprompter goes out, which happens all the time. Um, you need to know your stuff. And I feel like getting that experience as a reporter would, you know, translate into being an anchor as opposed to, oh, yeah, we're just going to throw you into the anchor chair and uh, just start reading there. Yeah, it's live. You know, there's that's a lot of pressure. And especially today, you know, in today's uh, cancel society and everything goes viral. And if you just, you know, you don't know your mic is, you know, I always say the mic is on no matter what, even if you're in a commercial, but you could lose your job. Just because you're in a commercial, your mic is on, and you say something, as we've seen recently with a sports newscaster, and you're gone. You may never work again. You know, so the stakes are so high, and the pressure is unreal. I don't know. (laughs) It's different times now. Yeah, and I don't think people realize it either, but before I get too ahead of myself, so when did you finally get that job at CNN? Well, I was um, at the NBC affiliate in Oklahoma City for seven years. I got the seven-year itch. I decided to send a tape to CNN because Ed Turner, no relation to Ted Turner, was from Oklahoma and he was the news director at CNN and he was hiring a lot of people from Oklahoma. Why? Because Oklahoma was a very competitive state as far as broadcast journalism. You know, They were at the forefront of a lot of things in the very early days. A lot of greats came out of Oklahoma City Television. So they wanted us. And I sent in a tape, and sure enough, they flew me out for an interview. And guess where I ended up when I started at CNN? Right on the anchor desk. Yep, on the overnight shift. 
<laughs> yeah. Oh, the best. Well, hold on. It's, I would say, so look, if we could laugh because we know, but it could be worse. You could be weekend mornings. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, so in the grand scheme of things, overnight is not that bad. I know, but it, it kind of does something with your circadian rhythms. You know, you're like, do I eat breakfast now, lunch or dinner, you know, and you get off work and it's hard to sleep. You hear leaf blowers and airplanes and noises in the neighborhood. And so it's, it's really difficult. You know, you're lucky if you get a good solid four hour sleep and then you go back to work. Yeah. A but, lot of people don't realize. Yeah. Cause our schedules are so bizarre. Cause if you're on mornings, chances are the morning show starts at four in the morning and goes to seven. And then you've got cut-ins, which is like little 15 to 30 second promos, but to build that show so it can go on at four or four thirty. You got to be there at like one in the morning. And I used to do that in Michigan and I'd go to bed at probably three or four in the afternoon because, <laughs> because I had to be up and at the station at one to help the producer do the show. Like I said, four to seven. And then, you know, like you said, what was your schedule? So overnight, what was that? Uh, what were those hours? 11 to seven. You get to work at 11 and uh, you're off at seven in the morning and everything's closed. The stores are closed. You know, everything's closed. But the weird thing about it was you would look at the clock and it'd be two o'clock in the morning, let's say. And then it would seem like a couple hours went by, but then you'd look at it again and it would say (laughs) (laughs) 2.15. It just wasn't moving. But the good thing is, but the thing is you're, you were at CNN though. So like that had to have been like, what was kind of going through your mind when, first of all, when you got the job, were you just bouncing off the walls, even though you knew you had to work overnights? I think I did a backflip, even though I don't know how to do one. (laughs) (laughs) I was so excited. And it was in the beginning days, the heyday of CNN, when, you know, people would tell me, warn me, be careful. There's kind of a homeless looking man walks around at night in his bathrobe. And he's all scruffy and he, he looks, you know, like a homeless guy, but don't worry about it. It's Ted Turner. Hmm. Um, he lives here while he's launching this network. So you can imagine how exciting it was. It was all young people and, you know, the, tw- the first 24 hours, seven day a week network. And just think from 1980 to now, it's never gone off the air. Isn't that an incredible feat? It's never missed a beat. Think of all those hours logged in and the hundreds of people who have worked there. It's really astonishing. Yeah. To be honest, I've never even thought of it like that. And I definitely want to touch on it, but I don't want to skip over Ted Turner living at the building. Did you see that? Is that for real? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Ted was an interesting character. I remember one time I was on the anchor desk and he was giving a studio tour and he walked right on, right back of me. And I was live reading a story. Oh, this is our news <laughs> desk. Anyway, he was on. <laughs> yeah, we had tours at CNN. Uh, we were in an old building when I first got there in 1984. And then in 1985, we, we moved to CNN Center. And they actually had organized tours that would come in and and kind of look at us like we were caged animals at the zoo, you know, like, oh, there's yep. an anchor from Newsday. And I'm sitting there with a turkey leg from Thanksgiving dinner, you know, m- moshing away. Hey, you know, I told you it wasn't as glamorous as it seems. <laughs> well, you'll be happy to know they still do those tours. They do? To this day. Oh, yeah. wow. Not, not obviously not now with COVID, but I know for a fact because I knew we took a field trip to the CNN building downtown and uh, you have to go up this huge escalator, but they still do that. You see into the anchor desk, you you know, they got a whole weather wall in there and yeah, you're, yeah. you're basically in a fishbowl for sure. <laughs> so what, cause I feel like at that point, CNN was, I think we're still cutting their teeth trying to be like an accredited news source at that time. Oh yeah. In fact, they were nicknamed uh, the chicken noodle network, CNN, the chicken noodle network. I did not know that. Where did that come from? Uh, Somebody came up with that. They thought that was funny. I'm sure Ted loved that. You know, and, and people thought, okay, there's no way they're in Atlanta, Georgia. Now if they were in New York city or Los Angeles, this could be a worldwide network, but Atlanta, come on. 
and luck. I mean, um, there was nothing else like it. It was just such an exciting time. You know, I, I should probably put together a little script of all the things that went on <laughs> behind the scenes. And um, it was a lot of fun. I will say that. We were a very close-knit group, all young journalists and all uh, trailblazers, really, paving the way for the newbies that were to come. And what would you say your fondest memories are of the old CNN days? Well, there was uh, one story I was really proud of because I happened to be on the air at the time. And it was a little year and a half year old girl, Jessica McClure, who got stuck at the bottom of a water well. And so for several days, uh, they were trying to rescue her. And she was singing lullabies at the bottom of the well. And I just happened to be on the air when they pulled her to safety. And, you know, it had to be engineered in such a way that they didn't jeopardize the lives of the rescuers. It was really a moving story. I remember that very distinctly. You know, it's kind of a, I don't know, a a crapshoot, really. When you're on the air, I was not on the air during the Challenger explosion. I remember sitting at my desk and saying, wow, that teacher is really brave, Krista McCullough. She's really brave to be going up in that rocket, you know? And then we, of course, we know what happened. The Berlin Wall came down. There was the Gulf War. There were a lot of things going on during the Reagan administration, which, you know, were on my beat where I was covering live, you know, around the world. And for some reason, I became a really big hit in Japan. (laughs) Of all places. (laughs) I know. And they sent a film crew to Atlanta to feature me in a story. And their story of Atlanta, Georgia had three parts. Me, Gone with the Wind, and Jimmy Carter. Wow. And they spent a couple of days with me. Mm -hmm. I still have a copy of it. I learned a little bit of Japanese for them. and uh, They accompanied me on my daily routine and even to the gym. There was a gym downstairs at CNN Center. And I took an aerobic class and they filmed that. And then they followed me home and I made dinner and had dinner. And uh, yeah, for some reason, I really caught on with the Japanese. But there was also a Russian crew that came through. And I think that being worldwide, having an international audience, people all over the world were watching CNN. So that if I was to meet someone famous, like Tom Hanks, for example, he'd say, well, hi, Belle, I know who you are. So I was just shooting a movie overseas, and uh, you were my home. CNN was my home. He said that? Tom Hanks said that to you? Tom Hanks said that to me. Whoopi Goldberg said that to me uh, at the Oscars on the red carpet after she won an Oscar for Ghost. Everybody was, you know, entertainment tonight. And I'm like, oh, come over here, Whoopi, Whoopi. Come here, 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 here. She goes, no, I'm going over to Bella. I love Bella. And uh, I got the exclusive interview. Miles Davis, who never granted an interview, so reclusive. I attended an art gallery opening, and some of his incredible artwork was featured. And he motioned through the window that I could come in. (laughs) So I got an exclusive interview with Miles Davis. People loved CNN. And, you know, I, you know, to this day, can't believe all the international people. I got mail from Africa, Nigeria. Uh, Cuba. Um, Fidel Castro was upset when they uh, interrupted my show for a breaking news story in the Middle East. (laughs) He wanted a tape. He wanted a copy of Yes. He reached CNN and said, can I please have a copy of the show I missed? He was an avid fan. So (laughs) when you hear things like that, wow. Saddam Hussein loved Showbiz Today. That's the show I hosted from LA. That was one of his favorite shows. So you hear things like that, it's really crazy. Like even you saying it out loud, is that not crazy to you? Like, or it's like, oh, that happened too. And it's like, wait, what? (laughs) I know. And I have a lot of family in Austria. My mother is from Austria. And so they would watch me. So that was kind of cool, you know, that they could see me in Austria. Like I say, all over the world, just something that had never been done before. And it's quite a feat for Ted Turner. I'm sure that In many respects, he wishes that he had stayed at the helm and was still involved today. I've heard stories of him visiting CNN Center and his office and looking wistfully out the window and thinking, look at all those CNN towers, you know, that could still be mine. But he still started it, you know, he'll always have that feather in his cap. Hmm. So what was the atmosphere like? 
at CNN back then. Full of a lot of colorful personalities. We had a producer who had a bullwhip nailed his wall in his office. And that was supposed to represent the way he intended to run the, uh, the newscasts. And so hmm. he was a yeller and a screamer and threw phones. And, you know, because it's intense. You, you, you've got correspondence. You've got feeds coming in. And, you, and you've got to hit those feeds. And you've got to have audio. And you've got to have video. And it's got to be of a good quality. And, you know, so you had intense personalities like that. And then you had people that were more laid back, easy to, easy to get along with. You know, there, there were a full spectrum of different personalities. That's what I would say. Hmm. Even anchoring. You had those that were just determined, you know, that, to, you know, they would notice, you know, I, I got to open the newscast uh, yesterday and how come you get to do it today? Or, you know, they wanted to lead every newscast. They wanted to close every newscast and say goodbye. You know, their egos would be such that that was very, very important to them. So I just say, go ahead. <laughs> I, I, I caught on to that very early in my career is where news personalities think they are celebrities and it almost made me fall out of my chair <laughs> because I was like, you do realize like, okay, I, I respect it, you know, with all due respect when I say this, but a lot of pe the people who are watching the news are also the ones calling in and complaining about Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy not being on. <laughs> so like for you to just like the egos, especially my one news director, my first news director, he was the news director and the, and the main anchor. And oh, like I was just like, <laughs> I can't even be around you, man. Yeah. Like, who do you think you are in Market 185? <laughs> um, but this is CNN. I'm not trying to diss on my old, but well, a little bit. Well, you know he's how, okay. Tom, the two anchors are sitting there at the anchor desk and there are two people sitting there. So if one's talking, it wouldn't hurt the other one to look over and kind of listen to him for a minute and then go back to the camera. But there were some, even when you opened a show or ended a show, that would not look at you. They kept looking straight ahead into the camera, would not acknowledge your very existence, you know? And That's just like Anchorman, the movie. Yeah, like they did, like, you know? yeah. So everybody was always jockeying oh. for positions. And in commercial breaks, you know, my co-anchor would go, so what are you hearing? I'm hearing they're going to, you know hire some new anchors for this show. And I said, your mic is on. The whole control room can hear us, you know, and they're listening in and I'm not going to talk about this gossip, you know, right here on the set. But they were always, everybody was mm. always jockeying for different positions. And what did you hear? You know, it was pretty competitive. <laughs> it can be pretty vicious. I was going to say as a female in that time, being on the anchor desk, was that, what was that like? Uh, there's still a lot of, I would call it like inappropriate verbal harassment. You know, kind of like, boy, you look hot today or uh, mm -hmm. got a hot date this weekend or you should wear that more often or, you know, those are all sort of verbal harassments. I did mm -hmm. know of a weathercaster who they were making fun of her quite a bit in the control room, you know, and making comments about her physique. She was well endowed and uh, making comments about she was mm -hmm. blocking the whole view of the West Coast or something like that. <laughs> I mean, just things you would not. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, but it's not like I, I'm not yeah. laughing at her. And I swear. So, I, just, um, I know what you mean. She really had it rough. And then she was a meteorologist. And then when they decided to put her on the anchor desk, well, that just didn't go over well at all. She knows weather. She doesn't know news. And this was just, you know, one of the most horrible things they'd ever heard. Then they hired um, an attorney with no broadcast experience uh, from Texas. And they had consultants to train her how to be on the air. And that didn't go over well. You know, that's when the glamour started coming in. That's when training and consulting and the consultants wanted certain things. And uh, that's when the business changed, really. And you saw it right in front of you and i saw it i saw it and sometimes now when i'm watching the news and they'll start off the newscast before we get to the day's news i just want to say my my new book just came out and it is available on amazon <laughs> in fact we've got the link here you know and if you call within the next 20 minutes you'll get 10 percent off but wait there's more you know i, mean, it's all, I can't in believe syria it, while things are melting down you know right <laughs> after you know <laughs> 
And they promote themselves and they promote their books. And even the way the red carpet is covered, when I covered the red carpet, it was more about the movie and the issues of the day and what statement that particular film made. And now they don't even talk about the film. It's what are you wearing? Which designer? Who are you with? Oh, I love your jewelry. Oh, I hope you win. They fawn over the actors, you know, like they're, they're friends of theirs. And I don't know, that's something that we didn't do. Things are changing. I mean, nothing's going to stay the same. If you look at the old days of Walter Cronkite and Harry Reisner <laughs> back in the day, Frank McGee and Edward R. Murrow, it looks so different than it does now. You know, I guess because of social media and everything we've got going now, I guess we have to embrace a little bit because times are changing. Yeah. Just like that first station I worked at realized we can't keep making the news the most important. We've got to feature some of our reporters so they can gain trust and get their face out there so the people know them. So, yeah, it's always evolving, but it sure is interesting yeah. now. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're going to get right into that because I'm like dying to get into this. But we had spoken before or you had mentioned being a trailblazer and things you could you, that you couldn't get away with on air then but would probably fly now. Didn't you say you were like rocking some leather or what was that? Oh yeah, I wore more black leather than Johnny Cash back in the day. <laughs> oh, I was always getting into trouble. Leather on the news? Are you really going to wear that red leather jacket with the shoulder pads to deliver the news? I can't believe it, you know. The things I was always getting in trouble, so I always had to have spare clothes. Because half the time, the guy with the bullwhip, who had on plaid pants and a polka-dotted shirt and a striped tie, would come out and say, you cannot wear that. So I'd have to either grab something off somebody you know, behind me, a producer or a writer, or you know, scramble and put something else on. That was always a big contentious thing that was going, was my wardrobe for some reason. But now I see cocktail dresses at 6 a.m. <laughs> yeah. The meteorologist, yeah. And uh, all sorts of outfits, you know, for the news. Um, we would never go sleeveless back in that day. I mean, I had on a leather jacket, but I would never think to show my arms completely. That's changed. The legs now, they have a light on the legs, a clear plexiglass anchor desk where you can get that light to feature their legs, you know, with a high, you know, skirt, and stiletto heels. I don't and know that- the weather, how they even walk in those stilts, but they do. <laughs> And that wasn't flying back then. No, they didn't do that back then. Yeah. We were yeah. all mostly the, the jackets with the shoulder length hair, very conservative, very minimal jewelry, you know, just very plain. Yeah. But uh, I try to introduce a little bit of glamour into it, you know, and I think that's why they decided to, you know, switch me from news into entertainment. Because I, I you know, I was, I was more uh, edgy, flamboyant in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. And I always enjoyed interviewing the celebrities. Uh, You know, I always had a great rapport with them. Did they like your leather jackets? They did. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I had very expensive jackets from Jean-Claude Gitois in Beverly Hills. Some of them were like ten dollars to $15,000 jackets with 24 karat gold. Of course, I just borrowed them. You know, they weren't given to me. Oh, I was going to say, if you still got those laying around, I'm sure those are still worth something (laughs) unless you've got them vacuum sealed somewhere. But, oh man. So this is the part where I'm really curious because we've just spent almost half an hour talking about, you know, your career and you're up, you know, you're rising through the ranks and everything like that. Your experience at CNN, we got Ted living in the back, but now CNN has completely changed it really Um, has i don't even recognize it anymore i think wolf blitzer and christian amanpour i think were some of the ones i worked with so they're still there but it's a completely different network when i turn it on and fox too i mean they both have their agendas now and the anchor is has got such a personality that they feel free to say whatever they want I just don't think it's journalism anymore. It's entertainment. No, I, I completely agree. And it's on both sides. If you turn on Fox, they're leaning one way. If you're turning on CNN, 
it's leaning the other way and it is because didn't cnn pride itself on being not biased on being like treading the line a little bit and they have completely thrown that out the window i never knew all my years at cnn whether we were favoring the democrats or republicans whether we were left or right liberal or conservative i've never knew i was never told now remember when you read this story be sure and roll your eyes you know if president bush does something roll your eyes you know or you know make a disparaging comment or yeah, insult his clothing or, you know, it's just, it's just a different, different world. I don't know if it'll ever go back to normalcy, what I consider normalcy, no, but I, I kind of so. listen to the BBC. That's I, I go there and because I speak a, a, a little German, I will listen to uh, Austrian news or German news and get their perspective of what's going on in our country. And that's hmm. kind of how I stay ahead of the game because you know, CNN covers things that are not covered on Fox. Fox covers things that are not covered on CNN. So you just really don't know what to believe. Yeah, and it's so funny because you even said, you know, when it when it first started, when you first started, they didn't even want to put you on camera because they didn't want to feature reporters. Period. And now with CNN, it's mm-hmm. you know they even told you don't be the news. And nowadays, like on both sides, to be f- completely fair, is it's it is a three ring circus and especially with some of the interviews they do some of the, I mean, they, I see a lot of leading the interviewee to, you know, whatever their agenda Mm -hmm. is. And I'm just Mm -hmm. sitting there because even at a, I always tell people at a local level, it's in my experience, it was never like that. They were very strict on not being biased. Like it was this side says this, this side says that like, we're not pushing any, or, yeah, like editing time, they'd say, wait a minute, you cut off the last yep. sentence, you know, of yep. his thought. You can't do that. Let him finish the sentence because, <laughs> see, it has a completely different meaning mm-hmm. if, if, when editing takes over, yep. right? You can make someone look good or bad just yeah, with editing. And if you want to take out, I mean, you could take out five seconds of what they said and it could say completely different. And I've seen it on both sides. I've seen it with our president now and I've seen it with other presidents. And then you go back and watch the whole clip and you're like, holy smokes, like you, you guys cut that whole thing out. And I, and it's so weird because before Trump became president, I used to like defend mainstream media for the longest time about not being biased because I was in it and I was always taught, you know, it's this side and this side, you stay on the line, don't become the story, yada, yada, yada. And now it is like full fledged. We're going to bolt a supercharger onto that. And now you're the story and we're going to see like how much, you know, God, I don't even know what to call it. There's just, uh, viral moments, maybe I don't know. There, it's just like poking the bear on both sides. I feel if that makes sense. And now you have TMZ, a whole other world, you know. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times they'll run with something without even checking their sources or verifying it, because they know they can always retract it and say, "Oh, I'm sorry, we our sources told us, you know, they did pass away." I mean, there's been several times when they've said, "Sorry, they really didn't pass away," but anyway. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so you've got that. It's sort of like a daily mail. It's just, you know, you, you have to understand where your news is coming from. Where did you read it? Is that a liberal publication? And what is their agenda? You know, you, you have to be aware. And you said you listen to the BBC and some German. What are the Germans saying about what's going on over here? Oh, you know, they love the Americans. They just think we're cool. I'm sure they do. <laughs> I'm sure they do. They love our music. They love our culture. They watch us on Netflix. They watch us on Amazon. You know, whenever you see a German movie, they always have the uh, English uh, lyrics. You know, they love our everything about us, and they're infatuated with us, and they follow us. They Trump will be a lead story on their newscast, you know, even though it's not Merkel or anybody over there or Marcon from France, it's it's a lot of times Trump. They love us so much, our fashion, just everything about us. They do not like the way we're handling the coronavirus. You know, they think we're taking too many risks and not enough people are taking it seriously and wearing masks and so forth. So they're very concerned. They don't want us traveling over there. We're getting kind of a bad name actually through this virus. So, yeah, 
And that's what's see, and that's what's tough because honestly, I see both sides. Like I said, and not to get into a political like debate about it, but it's like I I honestly see both sides and where everyone's coming from. But it being something so foreign, it's just, you know, you can't see it. It's affecting everybody different. You know, people, I feel like, are a lot of, there's a lot of headline reading going on. And there's no fact checking. There's no source checking. You know, people Mm -hmm. can write the most absurd headline and it comes from, driverdie.com, you know what I'm saying? And it's just something you just don't know where sources are coming from anymore. There's so much information out there. Exactly. And you don't know what to believe. Somebody says this, the World Health Organization says this, the CDC says that, Fauci says this, the president says this, your state, your governor says this. It's hard to know, you know, it really is. I feel like it's a game of pong and we're just like in the, we're the ball just going back and forth because I think it just came out and don't quote me on this, but I think this, didn't we just catch the CDC in a lie? And then now the government wants to go through, I don't know, man, like there's just so, I don't know what's going on. (laughs) I think a lot of people, because we've never faced a crisis like this are in denial. Yeah. You know, they, they don't want to believe it. Therefore, they're not going to adhere to put something as simple as putting on a mask. They don't want to believe it. they're in denial. They want their life to go back to the way it was. Maybe they've lost their small business. Maybe they're suffering financially. Uh, they don't know anyone yet that's had it. So therefore, it's kind of intangible. But um, and even, you know, we're going to see a lot of politics when the vaccine comes out because, you know, who's going to there's going to be anti-vaxxers and they're not going to take it. And is it safe? And who wants to be the guinea pig the first round? And is there enough of the vaccine? And where is it manufactured? Is that country or the country that uh, comes up with the vaccine, are they going to share it with the world or keep it for themselves? <laughs> There's going to be all sorts of political issues that they come out of that too. Yeah. And once again, you see, cause you see story, like you hear of, 97 year old woman recovers from coronavirus and then you hear 34 year old male that was at a party for coronavirus (laughs) celebrating that he didn't have it got it and died the next day and then they're saying oh protect your shoes i'm like would you get you know because in the beginning they were even didn't they say don't wear masks now we're wearing masks wear gloves not wear gloves it's like make up your minds you got like that's what i'm saying no one knows what is going on so i truly do see both sides i really don't know what to do and you know if a you know if you go to a store and they require a mask just put the mask like i just put the mask on like i'm not trying to i just want to get my stuff and go like i'm not trying to cause a scene and you see people on the internet and i'm just like yo like even if you don't agree, like, and I see their viewpoint too, but it's just, it's just, just do it and go like, talk about it with your friends. Let's just, let's just go. Man. Uh, so what yeah. if you, and you said you speak a little German. So what would a German yeah, headline, just, what would a German I'm headline just, sound like? I speak a little meine Mutter war in Österreich geboren und ich, und wenn ich ein bisschen Wein trinken, dann ich kann sehr gut Deutsch sprechen. So what I just said was, I do speak a little German. My mother was born in Austria and I understand a lot of it. We keep talking about, you know, so many news sources out there. How do people fact check with so many news sources out there? I don't think they fact check. I think they just look to TMZ and look at Twitter and that's where the young people, the millennials, are getting their news now. You know, everything is just so fast. Nothing's checked or, you know, validated or verified, vetted. So uh, I think that's, that's where most people get it now. And even from uh, late night talk shows like Jimmy Kimmel, that, you know, <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. that's where people get their news. Do you feel like that hurts us as a people? Yes, I do. Because that's when you get all these differing opinions and arguments and things have gotten so hateful. I remember when Facebook was just a fun place where you just meet up with your old high school friends, you know, and reconnect and post pictures that were, you know, happy and, you know, but now it's vitriol. It's just people are unfriending people because of a comment they made because they dared to disagree. And it's become such a negative place. And everybody's just 
I think because of Corona and everybody being cooped up, everybody's just on edge. Yeah, I, either that or, I mean, everybody's just, you know, I think somebody once said everybody has been like this. It's just fa- platforms like Facebook and Twitter have exposed it or heightened these type of people and negative, you know, I try to stay off of Facebook and Twitter just because it is just a negative time suck and just people are so hateful. But I don't think a lot of people realize and there's been footage of reporters from big you know, B, I think CNN was in there. I think there was a couple Fox ones where they're literally saying that the news business is still a business. And just like social media, where you see a lot of the negative stuff, whether it be about the president or race related, something that's super sensitive, people sound off in the comments and it triggers the algorithm and then the algorithm pushes it more. Oh, yeah. The comments. I love reading oh, comments yeah. on things. Yeah. You could spend oh, all day in there, but that's the same way. It's like it's just like a tornado yeah. because people are they're just fueling the fire because the more comments, the more it's telling that algorithm to push it to more people. It's no different than exactly. the news. So that's why these headlines are so absurd and so shocking because they're just there to hook you <laughs> and get that negative reaction or that fear or something. Because as you know, there's no, there's, I don't really see any positive news anymore um, out of these news outlets. And if there is, it's, it's, it's very at the little. very end, but yeah. it's the same way they've got, they've had, I think there's even undercover footage of anchors and news people saying that it's a business like they that's why they're reporting on xyz because this is what goes on the internet this is what goes on the air this is what gets all the hits this one is what gets all the reactions so gloom and doom here we go double down on that and push it out yeah. <laughs> it's sad I, I always look forward to a, a yearly holiday party with a bunch of neighbors and i've known him for many many years and Last year, I said, well, has anyone decided where we're going to have the holiday party? I said, oh, we're not going to have it this year because of differing political views. Now, why can't we all get together and just not talk politics? But somebody made a comment on Facebook that showed they were a certain way. And next thing you know, <laughs> now they're enemies. It's ridiculous. But that's how it is now. I mean, it used to be you don't speak about those things in the workplace. And now every it's just everyone's got free reign to do and say whatever they want. And, you know, depending on what station or what building you're in or what company you work for, if that company leans the opposite way of how you feel, you could be in a little bit of trouble. Right. That's why actors are, you know, they're kind of tight lipped sometimes about which way they go, because it's a very liberal community out here in Hollywood, as you know. And, uh, they're too far right or conservative, then it could affect their work. They may not be hired because of their political views. You know, what's interesting is some celebrities get away with it, who, which The Rock, which I am a, I've been a fan of his since he was in wrestling. I used to watch that stuff back in the day. But he came out as conservative and a Trump supporter, and that shocked me. But I think he's so this is just my opinion, by the way. I think he's just so big of a star and he's such a nice guy. I feel like that it almost didn't, there was no storm. It was just like a hiccup, like, you know, oh, he's conservative. Okay, let's talk about something else. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Because you, yeah. don't, you don't really see many celebrities who lean that way uh, in fear of, you know, being canceled because that's what's going on now. And I'm actually curious of your thoughts of this newfound cancel culture that's going on right now. Oh, it's, it's, you know, that's not right. And what, what about apologies? What about being human? What about making a mistake? Something comes out of your mouth. You didn't even realize came out of your mouth. You're like, what, what did I, yes, you said I did. You may not even realize it. And then you never work again. I mean, that's just, that's just cold. <laughs> it is cold. You know, I, yeah. And it's scary. I don't agree with yeah, that. I, I don't either. Very scary. Especially if somebody gives a heartfelt apology. Look, I am very, very sorry. How can I make amends? And owns it right up front. We have to forgive them. But that's not the way it works now. 
It's scary. I mean, people are, and if it's not, you said something that day, people start going digging in your past from 10, 15 years ago. And it's just, (laughs) I mean, you just would not. And that's what I don't think people realize with people who are on the news as well. Like, I mean, the slightest thing can just, you're done. You're done. And even Mm -hmm. we talked about the uh, sports guy recently. I didn't, did I see it right? All he said, he just dropped the F-bomb on accident, right? Yeah, he didn't realize his, that they were out of commercial and that his mic it was on. Yeah, he, but he, that's all he did. He didn't say anything. No, like I hate it was just like it, that or no, he didn't. He just dropped the, he just said the F-word. That's it. And I said, and that's the, and I was waiting for it because I saw, and he was like apologizing, and it was a little funny. I don't know if you saw it because I felt for him because you could tell he's old, like he's old school. He's been doing it along. Like he was just, oh my god, I can't believe I, I said that. I he started to give this. (laughs) I'm not laughing at him. I'm laughing at the situation because I just that's what happens to me when I get uncomfortable. But like, I think he, he said it. He was apologizing, and in the middle of his apology somebody hit a home run and he had to go out of his apology into the home run back into the apology. Yeah. yeah. I was like, Oh, not a good day for that guy. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And he, just think how he feels today. I mean, he's out of a oh, job. Oh, I'm sure he's, they, Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't follow up with it. They, they fired him. I believe so. Yes. I believe he no. had to step down. I believe he had to step down. Yeah. So that's that's the the way the world works right now. And gosh, you know, you know, one thing, Tom, have you and I dropped an f bomb in this conversation? No. That's another new thing that it takes a lot of getting used to when you hear these interviews on the radio or wherever. It is just like the language is just profane, <laughs> profane. You know, uh, that's something well, new. Yeah, and now I feel bad for kind of laughing because I didn't know, I didn't know he got fired. I didn't know. I thought they just, you know, I was like, oh, he slept once, you know, that's terrible. But yeah, nowadays it's weird because one of my, um, one of the people who I look up to as you know a host and everything is Howard Stern, and you know he was a trailblazer for the longest time, and I more so looked up to him not just because. You know, I'm not the stereotypical reason or like people would be like, oh, because he talked about sex. No, it was just because he just the way he I think I related to him because he was always, you know, going against the grain, just saying stuff that he's not supposed to and just getting away, you know, and fighting the man to, you know, and then he became this huge star. But I saw something where he when he got his contract with Sirius, he's like, you know, people are like, oh, you can finally swear. You can finally swear now. And he said something along the lines of, I'm not going to do it because it sounds unprofessional. Mm-hmm. I was like, just swearing to swear. That's why anytime I'm doing a podcast or uh, something on, you know, something on camera, I just know I've it's been ingrained in me to not swear. Mm-hmm. Unless you're really trying to punch something <laughs> home. Like yes. it has to be worth it, but I just don't do it. Cause it sounds like, cause you listen to other podcasts, they're just firing off swear words just because they can. And it just sounds to me very amateur and oh, we're just, it's cool to swear to swear. And to me, it's a little distracting. I don't know. Maybe that's me. Maybe I'm old school. I don't know. Uh, apparently this Tom Renneman uh, has not been fired. I think he's apologized. And, uh, yeah, oh, good. I don't think he's been fired. That's good. Cause I, I could tell he was sorry. It was just, it was just one of those, he just got caught in one of those universe moments. He said it when he shouldn't have, then he apologized, then someone hit a home run and then he had, to, <laughs> like, it was just, it was, it was, it was, I call those domino yeah. days where once one goes, everything else is going down with it. <laughs> Everything else falls apart. That's why they have blooper reels. And, you know, that's what I tell people. If you want to see uplifting things, if you want to laugh because things are so grim right now, it's so good for your soul to laugh, you know. and It does physical wonders for you, actually. We know that. Uh, watch some of those newscaster 
blooper They're reels. So they funny. are hilarious. And reporter bloopers, oh, they are so funny. I love to watch those. If you get a little bit down, put those on. They're just because it's live and anything can happen. Yeah. <laughs> and, the, and I always love seeing those. I'm sure you've seen the one where the, the bee flies in the guy's mouth or whatever. I mean, there's, there's, <laughs> it's, there's so, if you ever get bored, just go on YouTube and type in news bloopers and it's a good 15, 20 minute, you know, good time. And I feel like as, since we've been in news, <laughs> it's that much more. It makes it that much it more funny. For us. Yeah. It's oh, just- man. Yeah. Oh boy. Yes. Speaking of bloopers though, what was you, did you ever have one that stands out more than the others? I, oh boy. I said, we were going to, we're going to keep this newscast clean. (laughs) Keep this clean. I said, um, there's a major story breaking at this moment. A Massachusetts ex-convict has been erected. (laughs) Oh, now I could have gone back and said arrested, but I didn't because it would call attention to the sex. <laughs> Don't you wish you could be in the control room or just see your producer's eyes been like, but what would she say? Yeah. <laughs> Because that's what I think people don't realize either because you could, you've got all the words in front of you, but for whatever reason, whether it's sleep deprivation, too much coffee, or you're just not having a day, there's words that come out of your mouth that you cannot explain. And you can't take it back. So I just, I just go on. My, my, my rule of thumb was whenever you make an error, don't back up and call attention to it. Just keep going. (laughs) See, at least, at at least. I call that, uh sportscaster lefty drizel <laughs> i called him lefty drizel uh, yeah <laughs> you know i didn't I, you know i wasn't keeping up yeah no sports at the time and then one time i called duluth uh dulles and boy <laughs> the phones light up we're not dull and duluth you know how yeah. so um uh, then one time early in the morning, three or four in the morning, I didn't have my mic on. <sighs> I think this is on YouTube. And, and so the uh, control guy is going, you need to put your mic on. You need to put your mic on. I found, I go, oh, I guess I need a mic. But I couldn't get it to go on. So I just held it in my hand. It was a little hmm. bitty lavalier mic. <laughs> Gotta love live TV. Oh, but that's the thing we all have, those things. I, I mispro- I'm terrible with names, too, so don't feel too bad. I would mispronounce stuff all the time. And... Oh God! There was in my first station. We used to do a blooper real thing at the end of the year for all of us, and I was probably eighty percent of that. I used to screw up so <laughs> many times. I mean, it's from you know not saying the right word or tripping or you know on my first live shot was the most humiliating thing you know i base i it was out it was freezing cold on the side of the road and we were doing a live shot and the light was in my face right so there's this little bright light in my face i go I go and look down at my paper to read my script since there was so much light coming in my eyes, so much white light. When I looked at the white paper, there was nothing there. So it looked like it sounded like I had a stroke on air because I couldn't, I didn't know what to say. And then when I got back, my GM news director and assistant news director were like, uh what happened out there you know stuff like i mean there's yeah i've got too much stuff there's i used to have a whole you know i handled those um snow shots you know when it's 20 below zero and there's ice and snow on the road here's how i handled that one i went out in the live truck and they go and reporter bella shaw covers interstate 35 freeway conditions bella what's going on out there and I had the guy shoot it from inside the van, and I rolled down the window. As you can see, the snow nice. is coming down. <laughs> I didn't get out, you know, because I thought I could get run over. That's smart, because people don't think about that either. I see reporters on the side of the road. They got cones now, but that's still not going to stop if somebody slides <laughs> off the road. Remember the guy that uh, he was in a hurricane situation, I think a hurricane uh, uh, 
at level five or something. He's about to be blown over, <laughs> standing there with his mic and barely able to stand up. And then in the background are some you people, see people casually walking by. Yeah. <laughs> I think they're about, yeah, that was, yeah. Those are really funny when they get the yeah. reporter out there and, you know, Busted. these winds are telling everybody, do not go outside. Repeat, your life depends on it. Do not go outside. And there's people walking Stand around there. like a Sunday stroll. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh boy, you just can't make this stuff up. You really no, can't. You can't, and like, and I could keep. Dom, <laughs> I would say, you know, I, we talked about it's not as glamorous as people think. It's a lot of hours. It's a lot of hard work, and um, it's a lot of training that, that's involved. A lot of education. You know, you know, a lot of terminology you have to know. A lot of jargon you have to know. It's. Um, can be a very difficult business, but at the same time, how many businesses and industries are you paid to learn? Every day you go to do a story, you're paid to learn something about that. And it's fun. You're meeting new people. You're out and about in the world. It's not a desk job. The fulfillment of knowing you turned around a story on a deadline, you're like we need this by six o'clock. It's your lead story. Okay, we got it. You know, And you come in and, and you get that story on the air. It's really a sense of accomplishment, you know? So with yeah, that respect, it's a wonderful business. Yeah, and once again, it goes back to people don't know what goes into it because not only, you know, even when I was an MMJ, which is multimedia journalist, where you shoot right and edit your present your own story i mean you'd have your morning meeting you get your story you start making phone calls you set up the interviews you go to the interviews shoot the b-roll next interview you know you're trying to race people through what my favorite thing was oh can we do this after lunch it's like uh excuse me i don't get a lunch can i need like five minutes of your time can we go and then you know do that and once you've got all your interviews you got to come back to the station right you know, you got to write your story, you got to edit your story, you got to put a voice over to it. And then breaking news happens and you got to stop everything. Go get that, get an interview, come back, do that. You know, I mean, and that's just for the five, you know, that's yeah, only for the five o'clock. The and, yeah, and then recut it again. And the live shots when you don't have any information at all, but you're live, you're putting yourself out there. And I think a lot of the young people that want to have a media presence now and they're doing their own interviews and they have their YouTube channel, it's the only business I know of where people think they can do it with absolutely no training. You wouldn't walk into an operating room and, and try to become a surgeon. You know, you wouldn't be a ballet dancer without any training at all. But it's, it's the only thing that people think, oh, I can do that. I can interview. I, I, I can have my own channel. I'm good at that, you know. It's just a very interesting thing that everybody thinks they can do it. And I think that's because we make it look easy. Yeah. And it just depends. It all depends what people are looking for nowadays. And the media platform from broadcast news has just changed so much, especially with social. So everything that used to be okay or used to not be okay is okay now. And it's almost like quality has dropped a uh, few notches but that's okay and i don't know i, I don't know where it, it, we're riding this new wave of media and we gotta go uh go where it goes but i could talk you know i could talk about this stuff all day but if somebody is brand new and they come up to you and they were like bella i want you know i've seen all your stuff i this is what i think i was put here to do where do i need to start probably as an intern, you know, and, and I always tell young people, get something that is a little niche for you. Don't become just like a general assignment reporter that can go out in the field and cover anything. Discover something that only you have. Maybe you know another language. Maybe you're an aviation expert. Maybe you're a health or medical expert. Find your little niche that sets you apart from all the competition. And that'll give you a little something extra. Uh, a lot of uh, stations now are looking for that master's degree. You know, that, that would definitely set them apart. So find something um, that they're an expert on or an authority on, and um, they'll get a lot more work that way. It could be politics. Well, maybe, maybe they have the gift of gab, and they're just really good at analyzing politics. 
whatever it is. Well, we're, I want to thank you so much for coming on here and you know taking the time to talk. I seriously appreciate it. Where can we find you online? Bellashaw.com. <laughs> Very simple. Awesome. And I know, yeah, and I know we've got, we're going to link it all in the description. And I know, you know, you've got all your social links on there as well. So once again, thank you so much. I seriously appreciate it. Tom, it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, that does it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. And I would love your help. This podcast is brand new, so I need all the help I can get. If you would, just subscribe to the podcast, leave a five-star rating. I really, really would appreciate it. And last but not least, I got a little something for you. For the last 10 years, I have been writing, shooting, producing, editing my own video to get my dream job as an entertainment reporter in Los Angeles interviewing the stars. Now, that might not be your dream, but if you are in this industry and you are in this field, you are going to need to learn how to write, shoot, and edit, produce your own content. And now I want to personally train you on these skills so you can create your own journey and make money while doing so. So what I want you to do now is log on to Facebook and request to be in my private Facebook group, On Camera Professionals. Once again, it is called On Camera Professionals. But wait, Thomas, I really like your stuff. I really want to learn from you, but I don't want to be on camera. Don't worry. I got you covered. In this group, I'm going to be doing a live training, so that means live tips and tricks. I'm going to do giveaways, freebies, and I'm also going to do personalized training. So once again, log on to Facebook and type in On Camera Professionals, and I'll see you there.